Well, welcome to this last message, and we're ending our series, Who is Jesus? And we're getting ready to start the next leg of the journey, and we're kind of at a crossroads. And the crossroads we are arriving at is one in which we have to make a pretty important decision. Are we willing to come to the dead end of ourselves? I didn't say the dead end, right? But the dead end of self. Am I willing to part with myself? Which is really an easy question to ask, but one you gotta think about strongly to answer. Because most of us are pretty self-centered. Anybody besides me? All right, so let's make sure I'm not alone here. A lot of us think an enormous amount of times, an enormous amount of time about ourselves. So the idea of jettisoning self, of walking away from self, is really hard sometimes to, to come to grips with. Yet in order to go forward with Jesus, we have to do that. Are we ready to do it? Well, to answer the question, I want you to imagine that you're on a journey. We are all on a journey with Jesus. We're on this road together with him. He's walking, we're walking along. The 12 are with us, as well as some other people in the crowd. We've all been wrestling with, who is Jesus? Many of us, though not all of us, have finally come to that aha moment, like Peter, where we say, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe in you, Jesus. And we want to announce to him, I'm on your team. I'm here for the journey. Let's go, Jesus. I'm signing up. But before we can say anything, somebody in the crowd that we don't know pipes up and says, I'll follow you. I want you to see how Jesus responds to them. So turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 9 on our journey, or turn your Bibles on to Luke chapter 9. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. You know, a lot of people watching online are wintering someplace warm, probably wearing shorts and enjoying the sunshine. We're okay here in Minnesota. It's 75 today here. We've got beach towels out. Just kidding. We welcome all of you. I got to tell you something. I don't know what happened. If, if people were at Lydia's and got over-caffeinated at 9.45 hour, but they were, they were raucous this morning. It was just, I was just blown away. I thought 11 o'clock had showed up at 9.45. It was wonderful. That gave you time to find the passage. Look at verse 57. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So what do you do with what Jesus just said to one of us who said, I'll volunteer, I'll go? Did Jesus just say, yes, let's go? Or did he just say, no, you can't go? What's the answer to that question? Well, Jesus sees our motives. So when we speak to Jesus, he looks beyond us and he looks into our hearts and he sees who we really are. And what he sees in this guy, based on what Jesus says to him, is that this guy wants to follow him, but he wants to follow him on a path to glory. He wants to follow him on a path to success, on a path to perhaps wealth, on a path to prestige, on a path to position. It's not just this guy. i tweak this here. Just plug your ears for a moment. Is that better? All right. So... It's not just this guy who's asking this question. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, you'll find out that two of Jesus' closest friends, James and John, 
asked the same question. They said to Jesus, can one of us sit on your left-hand side and one of us sit on the right-hand side? When you get your kingdom all together and establish your rule here on earth, we want to rule right there next to you. We want position. We want power as well. And so Jesus' response is, you know, the foxes have a little hole, a den they can go to bed in at night. The birds have their nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What is Jesus saying to him? What's he saying to you and me? Well, if you go back and look at ancient literature, you study scholars like Ken Bailey, who passed away this year, he tells us that in the period between the Old and New Testament, what's called the intertestamental period, that the Jews were being very oppressed. And so when they started talking about their enemies, they had to use kind of code terms, apocalyptic terms, like you see in the book of Revelation. It's interesting that during that period of time, they sometimes referred to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as birds of the air. And they referred to another race of people who were very akin to the Jewish race, the Idumeans or Edomites, and those like them as foxes, inferior but kind of sneaky foxes. Well, what's interesting is that the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were very antagonistic toward Israel. Herod the Great was the Edomite and his entire clan that kind of ruled Israel under the auspices of Rome. They were all antagonistic rulers and very hateful toward the Jews. In fact, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus calls Herod's son, Herod Antipas, that fox. So what Jesus might be saying is something like this. You know, the Roman overlords occupy Israel and have their claim. Herod and his dynasty, that fox, and all his little foxes, they occupy Israel and have their claim. But the Son of God shows up who called you to be a nation, and you give me absolutely no claim. Over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, John writes this about Jesus. He calls him the true light. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So in essence, what Jesus is saying is, you want to follow me, let me, let me tell you something. It's not a road to glory. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to embrace homelessness, and you are going to have to embrace rejection. You're going to have to accept the fact that it's not going to be a life of success, a life of wealth, a life of pleasure, a life of prestige. You may have to suffer for following me. So the question comes back to you and me as we overhear this conversation. Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Knowing that you may not end up with much in this world? Before we can say, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus interrupts and invites one of the crowd to follow him. Now, it's one thing to volunteer. There's something pretty special when somebody calls your name out and chooses you, don't you think? To be on their team. I know sometimes you get called out by the teacher or the principal, and that's not usually a good experience, but to be called out in a positive way, we love that. Look what happens here in the text. It says in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. 
But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I hate to say this, and I want to be careful and not be disrespectful, but that seems really harsh of Jesus, doesn't it? He seems kind of callous of Jesus to say that. I mean, why does he let the poor guy go home and bury his father who's died? Well, again, we go back to the scholars, we go back to the culture, and we get an aha moment. And what we realize, and even today in certain Bedouin cultures and other places in the East, the eldest son isn't free to go do whatever he wants. He has responsibility to help stay home and take care of the family, and as his father gets older, to take care of dad. He's really not free until dad passes away. So in essence, what this guy's saying is, I'd love to go with you, Jesus, but I gotta stay at home until my father passes away. I gotta take care of things. And Jesus' response to him is, you know what? Let the dead bury the dead. Now, first of all, you can't take that literally. Dead person can't bury a dead person. So what he means is let the spiritually dead Take care of the dead. Let those who don't know who I am, who refuse me, who don't go along with my message of life, let them handle those things. You go proclaim life. You go talk about the kingdom of God. You go talk about the truth. Well, do you want to follow Jesus? If it means you might even have to give up family and move away from family and Not be responsible for everything at home, but be responsible for the things of the kingdom? What do you think about that? Before we can announce anything, another guy speaks up in the passage of Scripture. In verse 61, it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service to the kingdom of God. Dare I say it sounds rather callous again? But there must be something in the culture, and there is. In essence, what this guy says to Jesus is, I want to follow you, but first, I need to go home, and I need to get permission from my father, from my family. That was cultural then, and in many places in the East State, it is still very cultural. And by the way, this guy's not like 12 or 20. How many, how many of you are under the age of 30? Let me see you raise your hands. All right, look at all of you. Do you know that in this context at this time, you were under your father's authority until he died? So if you've been complaining about your mother and father, or parents, if you have kids that are complaining, I can't wait till I get out of this house when I turn 18, I guess you're pretty lucky you didn't live back here. Because as long as dad's alive, you're under his authority. And so what Jesus says is, listen, You can't go forward with me and be looking back. You can't have strings back home. You can't have this authority back home. You have to come under my authority only. And only my authority. He uses this example. He says, you know, look at that guy over there with his his plow and his ox. Look at him. He's cutting a furrow in the ground. Do you ever see him looking back? Well, he doesn't. Of course not. If he did, he'd be all over the place. He's always looking forward. You gotta let go of the past. You gotta let go of all those other people that want to tell you how to live your life, and you've got to listen only to me. Now, I ask you again do you still want to follow Jesus?
based on what he said. Maybe if we just jump up and say, Jesus, I want to follow you, maybe we should step back and count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And so let's do that. And I think you could summarize it all down to one statement. The statement goes something like this. The statement says, following Jesus means that we must make him the first priority in our lives. Let's say it all together, please. Following Jesus means that we must make him the first priority in our lives. He has to have preeminence. He has to be number one. What he wants is what matters. Bottom line. Rhetorical question, but is he first in your life? Does he have priority in your life? What does it mean to have Jesus take priority in my life? Well, if you step back and look at these three guys, I think there's a couple of things that pop out. First of all, it means, number one, you got to be willing to suffer loss. How many of you enjoy suffering loss? None of us do. We hate it. We love to think about ourselves and we don't like to suffer loss. And Jesus says, forget about yourself and come suffer loss. <laughs> That's why it's not an easy thing to say, I'll sign up, let's go. You ever signed up for something and been really excited about it? Like a diet or an exercise program or some kind of project? You read the brochure, it looked really good, it sounded very inviting, you thought it would change your life, and you show up the first day, and all of a sudden you realize, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> I mean, that's what it looked like on paper. This is hard. I didn't know it required so much discipline. I didn't know I wouldn't be able to eat candy anymore. I didn't know I'd have to do push-ups and get sore and exercise. I didn't know I'd have to go without this, go without that. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer loss. Because the way of Jesus is not the way of the world. They come in conflict to each other, and ever more so in our Western culture. I mean, you might have to suffer the loss physically. You might have to suffer loss relationally. You might have to suffer loss economically. You might have to suffer loss in relationships, in friendships. You know, whenever I travel overseas and visit our partners that we support in places like Vietnam, Indonesia, Nepal, Bangladesh, I meet people for who what I just said is a reality. They suffer loss in the most real ways. I've met men and women who've been kicked out of their family because they gave their heart to Jesus, who've lost good jobs because they love Jesus, who walk with a limp, not because they were born with a birth defect, but because they were beaten so badly and their bone broken so that they can't, they can't walk straight anymore, who've lost their eyesight, who've lost their hearing, who have paralysis. Some I've met who tell me, and I know of some, who've lost their lives for Christ. God forbid we ever get to that point in our culture, but I think I can tell you the further we move away from God, the more we do feel some persecution. I think about our students. I think it's really hard for our students, don't you, Heather, to live out their faith, in, especially in a public school? I mean, the loss you face there is being made fun of. The loss you face there is you're not included. Hard to live out our faith sometimes at work. It may mean you lose a promotion. It may mean you're excluded by your peers. I mean, to live out your faith honestly may mean that you don't, you're not able to kind of conclude the business deal because it requires you do some things that aren't necessarily honest. So even we feel a bit of that heat. Are we willing to, are we willing to put up with the heat because we want to follow Jesus. 
There's an interesting phrase that's used here. I call it the but first phrase, all right? Doesn't sound real nice, does it, all right? That probably would work for junior high, right? right? But there's a couple of but firsts in this passage of Scripture. And we all struggle with but first. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to the passage of Scripture and look what he says in verse 59. The second guy says, Lord, first let me go. The third guy says in verse 61, but first let me go. We all have but first in our life. And if Jesus were to approach you right after this service and say, let's go, follow me, what would be your but first? But first I got to watch the end of the Super Bowl. (laughs) But first I need to ask. But first I need to tell But first, I need to see my accountant. But first, I need to tie up some loose ends. But first, I need to Google, where are we going? But first, I need to Facebook this. But first, I need to tweet it out. But first, I need to pray about it. God says there can be no but first. I have to be first. I have to be first. To make Jesus a priority in my life means that his will, his way, always comes first. And by the way, if we really believe who he is, and I'm going to guess most of us, not all of us, that most of us believe he is the Son of God, if we believe who he is, should there ever be a struggle to following him? Think about it for a minute. If you believe he's God, should there ever be a struggle to following him? to sacrificing, to giving up, to attending worship regularly, to giving generously, to serving humbly, Worshiping passionately. Should there ever, 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 ever be a question? Absolutely not. But there is. There is for me and there is for you. We struggle with it. But to make Jesus a priority, you know about first. And, and lastly, to make Jesus a priority means that we have to focus. We have to focus. The last guy, Jesus says, look, you got to let go of the past. You can't, you know, it can't be about your dad and him giving you permission. You got to focus forward. You got you to listen to me and me only. It's like driving a car. And please do not try this, all right? But you don't drive your car forward by watching the rearview mirror. So oh, I can do that. I've done it before. All right, I'm not riding with you. But if you try to get home by only watching the road on the rearview mirror, you're going to be in big trouble. You're going to be in big trouble. We got to stay focused. And there's so much out there to distract us from focusing on Jesus. Would you agree with that? We live in a world filled with distractions. Everywhere you look, there's a distraction of some sort. There's the distraction of entertainment, the distraction of sports. What time is the Super Bowl? All right? All right? (laughs) There's distraction of relationships. There's distraction of sex. There's distraction... And you fill in the blank. Wealth, success, power, whatever it is. There's all these distractions. It's amazing we can get anything done. I mean, there's the distraction of social media, which I think is one of the biggest distractions of all. And the enemy is clever, and I believe he works within the world system, and it's all meant to get us off focus, off Christ. Because Satan knows that if we all got focused on Christ, something good would happen in this world. He's all about something bad. 
Even the church, even churches can get distracted. Distracted by programming, distracted by building, distracted by budgets, distracted by personalities, distracted by preferences. If the church, us, forget the building, if we would just all keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we would rock the Twin Cities for Christ. I really believe it with all my heart. It just takes focus. But maybe what we need to do is step back from the whole thing. And look at some words that Jesus spoke earlier, which kind of gets the heart of everything we're saying. If we'd been paying attention on the journey, we would have we would kind of brought these words to bear in what he's saying to us now. So let's revisit them again. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, I want to follow you, remember? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, other versions or people translate it, for whoever wants to find their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. Sounds kind of confusing. If you want to save your life, lose your life. If you try to save your life, you'll lose your life. What does he mean by life? The two Greek words for life. One is bios, that's the body. That's not what he's talking about here. The other one is psyche, that is the soul. It's the invisible me. It's what wears this body. It's what, when I die, goes to be with the Lord, if I'm a believer. The invisible self, so to speak. My spirit. Jesus says in this passage of Christ, or in this passage of Scripture, he says, for whoever wants to save their psyche will lose it, but whoever loses their psyche for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very psyche? Wow, what is that all about? He gives us a clue what it's all about. You see, our psyche is our true self. And we're all very concerned about this true self that's in here. And, and one of the things our psyche seeks, the one of the things our self seeks is a sense of value, is a sense of worth, is a sense that I matter, right? Whether you're a kid, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, we all are very concerned about that. And we're always looking, 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 looking for someone, some system to tell us that we have worth, that we have value, that we matter. We're all looking for it. You don't even have to be a Christian. You can be an atheist. Everybody's looking for it. He says, don't go to the world looking for it because the world will tell you, I'll give you value, but what it does, it actually takes value from you. And so a lot of people in the world, and, and, and we included, go chasing success thinking that if the world says, I'm successful, I'm a successful pastor, I'm a successful businessman, I'm a successful surgeon, I'm a successful you know, uh, host or hostess or whatever it is, whatever it is out there, that somehow that will make me valuable. Or we go and we think, you know, if I'm, if I'm sexually pleasing, because there's so much pressure in that, then I'll have value, I'll have worth. Or if I have money, I value if I have worth. Or if I accomplish, I value worth. If I make first chair, if I make varsity, if I do this, if I look this way, if I act that way, I'll have worth and I'll have value. And Jesus says, if you spend your whole life trying to have worth and value based on the world system, at the end of your life, you will be hollow. Because it never adds value. It takes value while you artificially think you have it. And listen carefully. 
and especially those of you who are parents listening to me right now, and it's just, this just struck me this week when I was working on the message. You know, a lot of times we go to those sources to find value, and we get rejected. When you go to certain sources hoping you'll find value there and you get rejected, it makes you that much more vulnerable to whoever will take you and will accept you. You know what I'm saying? And so why is there a proliferation of gangs across North America? It really boils down to acceptance. Can't get accepted in the hood, can't get accepted by my parents, can't get accepted by my family, can't get accepted by others, won't be accepted by the church or by Christians. Gravitate to the wrong things. That's why the church has to have open arms. We have to be accepting of others and loving toward others. Because if it's not us, who will it be? Look at Jesus. Look at how he opened his arms up to thieves and prostitutes and adulterers and adulteresses. I mean, look at the folks that followed him that were his disciples. What a, what a bunch, huh? And I'm one of them. How about you? That's the picture of what the church is supposed to be. Not this, but this. Oh, I'm not talking about compromising our values at all. I'm not talking about getting squeamish the word of God. No, stand on the truth. But don't do it and treat it like it's a hammer to beat others. Do this as an opportunity to embrace others, love them, and share with them, and guide them into God's way and God's change in their life. I guess you could take the other end of the, of the uh, spectrum, and you could, you could say, well, I'm into Eastern meditation, Eastern religion. Because Eastern religion basically teaches that the way to find peace in your life is to detach from yourself and detach from this world and to get reabsorbed to the energy that makes up the cosmos. In essence, what we're working toward is really coming to the end of ourselves by enjoining some impersonal force. But if you have bad karma in your life, you're probably going to come back and have to do this over and over and over again. If you didn't live a very good life, you might have to come back as a pig. See, I have a pet pig. That insulted me. I apologize. Whatever it is. Jesus says, those are your alternatives. Go find it from the world or try to escape the world. But I'm telling you, he says, if you'll come to me, if you recognize me as the source, as your origin, that's where you'll find life. But to do that, you're going to have to lose yourself. In other words, you're going to have to lose trying to be your own God. And you have to let me be God. And get this, because, because I created you. You're my idea. You started from me. So I've come to reconcile you back to myself by going to the cross and dying on the cross for you, paying the price for you, removing the separation. If you just put your faith in me, if you just trust me, if you just walk with me, you'll really, really, really come alive. You'll really finally find yourself. And he's absolutely right. When we come home. He said, well then why is it, why is it so painful? Why if I come to Jesus, why does it involve suffering? If I come back home to who he is, why doesn't everything get better? That's because he calls you not only to himself, he calls you to his mission as well. He asks that for this little bit of time while you're on earth, that you allow him to continue to suffer through you for this world. Then you allow him to live in you 
and sacrifice for others may come to faith in him. He asks you just to do that for this little while. That's what it means, take up your cross daily. He wants you to join his mission that others might receive what you have received. And then someday, when you die and I die, we close our eyes to this world. In a nanosecond, we are in the presence of God. There's no more tear, no more silence, no more suffering. That is the way of Jesus. And the question is, are we willing, are you willing to follow him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray and ask that you would be moving and stirring in our hearts and our minds and our souls in these days as we journey with you through this life, oh God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith to be able to give up ourselves, to be able to surrender totally to you, to let you inhabit us and possess us, to let your will be done in us and through us, oh God. Father, I pray that we would follow you in the good times and we would follow you in the bad times. We'd be faithful to you at all times. And that, God, we wouldn't look at this life as the end. Father, this is a parenthesis before we spend all eternity with you. And so I pray in these moments, oh God, we get on the team. We journey with you. We give up what we need to give up. We suffer what we need to suffer. We get our butt first out of the way. We get our focus on you.